Hello, friends, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Hayes Wicker has served faithfully on the Cedarville Board of Trustees since 2005. He has served the church throughout his career, a calling he received almost immediately after he received Jesus as Savior on New Year's Eve 1966. But his time of serving the Lord this side of eternity was nearly at a close after a prolonged and painful battle with COVID-19. He spent 45 days in the hospital and was seconds away from being placed on a ventilator when the Lord used a coach-like nurse to challenge him to breathe on his own. To hear the full story, continue listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast with Mark Weinstein and Hayes Wicker. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and joining me today on the program is Hayes Wicker, a member of the Cedarville University Board of Trustees and a retired pastor who has an interesting story to share about his experience with COVID-19. Hayes joined Cedarville's Board of Trustees back in 2005. He and his wife, Janet, have three adult children. The two youngest children both graduated from Cedarville University. Now, one unique fact about Hayes that might be a surprise to many listening to this podcast is that he may be the only trustee who has stayed in a Cedarville residence hall during his trustee meetings. Uh, perhaps Hayes will share more about this on the podcast. But for now, with that said, it's a pleasure to welcome Hayes Wicker to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you and to share in all the great things that the Lord has done. And hopefully we'll have a good time doing it. We will have a great time. And actually, I probably, before we get into the conversation about your journey with COVID, Hayes, I need to ask, you know, why did you stay in Lawler Hall during trustee meetings back in, I'd say, 2015 and 16? Well, uh, I wasn't camping out and uh, I wasn't trying to make Lawler great again, as I said in chapel one time. But my son-in-law was the uh, RD and my daughter and of course, uh, the Lord allowed them to adopt little uh, Ruby Jane. And I'd rather right. stay there than in the finest hotel in uh, Ohio. So it was great to hang out. And uh, that's that's uh, an easy time to get to uh, various meetings. Just walk now down I, the street. You, you, may, you may know my source for that information. It was, it was Scott, your son-in-law. And mm-hmm. I, I think you stayed there because of Ruby. Well, it, certainly Ruby. And by the way, uh, I have a son-in-law, Scott, who graduated from Cedarville, and then my son, who graduated also, then married Lauren, who is also a graduate of Cedarville. So we are deep into the Cedarville experience. And then Dr. Paul Dixon is a great friend of ours as well. Right. And we'll get into that a little bit in the podcast. Now, if I, if I know this correctly, um, your son married your daughter's roommate, right? That's right. Roommate after being in uh, the uh, college experience while they were both working in the Cedarville area. Allison, my daughter, was actually teaching across the street in elementary ed. And so okay. uh, she was the matchmaker, I believe, initially that got Evan and Lauren together. What a great story. Yeah. Uh, let, let's stay on the lighthearted track for a little bit longer. So. Um, doing research on you, Hayes, I know you enjoy Western movies. Yes. And and I think maybe Tombstone may be your favorite. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm guessing that. That's fair. And I know, and I know from experience, uh, you really enjoy playing golf. Yes. Um, which you do a lot in near your home in Charlotte now. 
Why are these hobbies special for you? Well, the Western movies, because I grew up in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, when I was a little boy in Mississippi, before we moved to the desert, my dad owned a store across the street from the movie theater. And I, the movie theater was the babysitter on Saturdays. And yep. so uh, I would uh, be there and have unlimited popcorn, it seemed like. And then uh, the very first movie I remembered was an old Western. And uh, then we moved to the, to the West, and I just fell in love with the scenery, uh, the adventure, and still love a great Western. Is Tombstone really your favorite? Uh, you know, Tombstone is right up there, probably uh, right there with True Grit. I, I love both True Grit editions. So, so what about golf? I mean, I know you you play it, uh, you enjoy it. Uh, what about the game, which can be so so much fun, but so frustrating at times? What what keeps bringing you back to the golf course? Well, uh, I continued to get injured playing basketball and. <laughs> the tennis and finally had to hang up uh, the high tops. But uh, I fell in love with golf, particularly because of Paul Dixon. Paul was okay. playing down in Naples where he was a member of the church I pastored. And right. uh, he challenged me one day to get better. And I always love a goal and a challenge. And so the more I played, the more uh, excited about it I, I became. But particularly God uses golf not only is great exercise and a chance to be outdoors, but to witness to people. And right. practically every time I get to play with someone, I have uh, one opportunity or another to share about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a great. And it, uh, it reminds me that uh, really anything we do, any opportunity that we're do, involved in, we have that opportunity if we look for it. Amen. Um, and, and you do, obviously. So, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been a member of the Cedarville Board of Trustees since 2005. That's a long, long time to, to serve. And you've seen a lot of positive changes on our campus during that time period. Yes. What brings you the greatest satisfaction in your role? And then as the, from the collective board itself, what brings you great satisfaction? Well, particularly, I love how there is such a unity on the board. We have fabulous fellowship. Uh, it's like a reunion and a homecoming every time we get together. And of course it hasn't always been that way, but uh, we saw God move in a mighty way a few years ago. And I get tremendous satisfaction as being on the doctrine committee. I used to be in the enlistment development area uh, or enlistment and promotion area as a, yep. uh, as a chairman, but I love to watch how God uh, brings students to Cedarville and change lives occur by the power of the spirit and by the godly influence of faculty and other students. Uh, I particularly love the, the way that we make decisions as a, as a board. There is such unbelievable uh, leadership by Dr. White, the other uh, administration, but there seems this, there's always this fulfillment of acts when it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to yeah. us. And yeah. the us, uh, as my relatives back in the South would say, the us is, we just have an enormous sense of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's really encouraging for um, us, us employees, faculty, staff uh, particular, to, to really see the unity that uh, 
comes out of the trustees. And that really has the opportunity to uh, transcend just the campus community. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thank you for your leadership there and, and um, wish you the best as you move forward. Um, before I go much deeper in today's podcast, I- I'm really interested in hearing about your spiritual journey. I know there's a great story here. Uh, if my research is correct, uh, when most high school students, uh, like maybe in Phoenix or anywhere, are celebrating the coming of a new year, um, that's when you found Jesus as your Savior, I believe. So can you share with us the story of your conversion to faith in Christ? Amen. I love doing that. Uh, growing up in a, in a Baptist home, I was uh, confronted with head knowledge but yeah. not with Jesus in a relational sense of saving faith. I went yeah. forward as a nine-year-old at a Baptist church, was baptized that night, but didn't understand it. I even took a friend uh, some years later to a Billy Graham crusade. We went down onto the grass at the, in the uh, uh, football stadium. A counselor came to me and asked me if I wanted to make a decision. I said, no, I just brought my friend. And yet the Holy Spirit continued to draw me to himself. And uh, we were able to join a different church that was very vibrant in authentic faith. And I saw in the lives of teenagers and the adults who worked with them, the true uh, relationship that they had with Christ, the joy and the purpose they had in their lives. And so at a New Year's Eve party, one of those key leaders who frankly, was a custodian at a local high school and never had more than an eighth grade education, looked at me and he said, God bless you, Hayes. It was just as the new year was coming in, in 1966. And without uh, a great deal of understanding, I just prayed a simple prayer and said, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I give my life to you. And in that simple prayer, uh, that faith transaction, the Lord came into my heart, changed me. But by the time I got home late that night, I also had a sense of being called to be a preacher and to be in vocational ministry. Uh, How how that happens, I have no idea. But since that day, even though I've been tempted to veer away from that calling, the Lord has tried to keep me on track and I believe has succeeded. And and you're leading me really to my... a question coming up soon, and that is about your role as a pastor. But before I get to that, um, I'm interested. So does each New Year's Eve have a double meaning for you because it's a new year and it's your anniversary or your birthday of your Christian birthday? It's it's new life. It is spiritual birthday. And though I, I no longer stay up past 12 to celebrate it, uh, but <laughs> it's a time when I look back and realize the amazing grace of God. You know, you can see life so much better in the rearview mirror many times. And I think of how, frankly, I didn't know much, didn't understand much, had tried to read the Bible. It made no sense to me. But then when the author came to live in my heart, then I began to understand what he had written as his love letter to me. Yeah. I think it's really neat. uh, And it's not mandatory, but it's really neat when when people who have accepted Christ as their savior can really pinpoint yeah. the day, the time, the situation like you just did, yes. uh, that's really meaningful. So uh, I want to thank you for sharing. As I mentioned in the introduction, you are a retired pastor at this point. You have served pastoral roles for churches in 
Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas, and Florida. And Arizona. Uh, during your preaching. What's that? And Arizona. Oh, and Arizona. Okay, I missed that one. Uh, but for, I think, what, your final 27 years, uh, you were the pastor of Dr. Paul and Pat Dixon yes. at First Baptist Church in Naples. Yes, sir. As you, ref- as you reflect on how the Lord used you through your pulpit ministry, what comes to mind? Oh, wow. The amazing, uh, for, first of all, that God would even use someone like me in ministry and uh, to experience the hand of God. We saw God bring uh, revival uh, and mighty move of the Holy Spirit, not only in Naples, but in a little ranch town, county seat town, way back in, in the 70s when God just broke through in revival. Uh, I think seeing changed lives, but also I get an enormous satisfaction out of preaching uh, expository sermons and watching God use that personally, either save people or help them grow. Uh, yeah. I, had, I had great joy in building a ministry from the ground up, even though I had... Uh, pastored some existing churches that were strong and large. Uh, when God called me to Naples, it was uniquely to take a small divided church in a rundown building and grow a ministry as God would have it, uh, particularly to follow the principle of experiencing God, to say, yeah. Lord, what are you doing? And we want to join you in it. And so I, I've had an enormous blessing, even after retiring, I was an interim pastor in the Charlotte area, and so yeah. God used that. Even this morning, I've had uh, contact from people in the church there. So it's been, a, it's been a wonderful blessing, and now I'm in a new ministry with Southern Evangelical Seminary as director of spiritual life and adjunct professor of preaching and pastoral ministry and Christian living. And so... It, that's a tremendous joy to, to pastor students and faculty as well. So tell me more about that ministry, because that's uh, relatively new. When did that begin? Well, uh, Dr. Richard Land, who was the president until just recently when he retired, uh, began talking to me uh, a year ago, actually. And we, when we moved to the area, we had no idea that we would be living five minutes away from the campus. And so he, he felt led to, to create really a new position. And I began serving in the fall, but my first actual week, I developed uh, illness and it was COVID. Yeah. And so right. just now I'm, I'm starting to get my strength back, trying to get my lung capacity back and yeah. been serving again. What, what were your symptoms when you first uh, found out you had COVID? What, what was going on with you? Well, uh, interestingly, uh, a little baby named Hayes died at two months of age. He was uh, uh, the child of a couple that were in our church in Naples. They asked me to come down and perform the funeral, which I did mm. with, uh, you know, both a sense of joy that the Lord was working in their lives, but also sorrow. And by yeah. the time I got back uh, from that trip, I was coughing. Went to the doctor. He diagnosed it as bronchitis. I got worse, uh, even on the medicine. Finally went in and had a, a COVID test, which was positive. But I, I, by a particular doctor's order or suggestion, we went to a small town hospital rather than a big city hospital. Yeah. I sat around for hours. And then finally they said, no, we can't admit you. 
I got worse the next day I went back to that hospital. And again, they would not admit me. Janet and I were very frustrated at this, but we sensed that there was a, a very low level of uh, hospital care. And so the very next day, because of actually an attorney's advice uh, and his doctor, Janet just took me to Pineville Atrium. They immediately put me in a room, immediately with an oxygen hookup. And within a couple of days, I was in ICU and was very critically ill by that time. But I, I, Mark, I see the hand of God in this because he knew I needed to be in a first-class hospital, right. which could give maximum attention to me and, and help. And so when God shut one door in his providence, he was planning to put me in this other place. Yeah, it's obvious, especially knowing your story as, as full as I do, that you needed to be in a major hospital that could really ha provide you the, the care you needed. How long were you in the hospital? I was Altogether. in that hospital 45 days and then immediately went into a uh, extended care facility for rehab for two weeks. Okay. So long time that, yeah. So just, just the length of those times really indicates the seriousness of your health at that time. Yes. Um, was there ever a, a point in this journey that you lost hope? No. And you know, when, when you're that sick and I was very critical and almost went home to be with the Lord, right. Uh, there was an amazing uh, breakthrough by God. Uh, and, and when you're that sick, you're sort of in and out of awareness. Uh, it's hard to know exactly uh, what happened on a particular date. Even Christmas came and went. I hardly even noticed it. I, I was very sick. And just at the, the worst point of that journey, uh, the Lord brought into my mind a verse, and I couldn't remember where it was, but it said, I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. It also was such a serious time, and I couldn't remember where it was because I had a constant headache and eye ache and couldn't read or watch TV. So I had my Bible, but I couldn't look up the verse. Later, the, uh, the verse came to me again when I was very sick. And I thought, well, that's a great verse to pray. And the third time when the Lord spoke, taking his word into my heart, I knew it was a word from the word, not only to pray to God, but to claim from God. And so because I saw it in my, in my head and then it was in my heart, then it could be in my hand as God began to heal me in COVID. It was Psalm 118.17. And when I read that, then the entire psalm began to minister to me. And I've shared that psalm uh, expositorily in a message and also in a Bible study. Now, I want to jump around a little bit, but stay as, as fluid as I can. Um, when we talked on the phone in preparation of today's conversation, uh, you mentioned to me that uh, your COVID experience allowed you to, and I say, share in the Lord's suffering. Can you unpack that for us? Well, some time ago, I had asked the Lord to, uh, as Paul talked about, know the power of his resurrection. And then I realized it's a package deal and the fellowship of his suffering. Right. Philippians 3 says, 310. you never really want that second part. We love to hang out in the power part. But right. uh, as I was getting more and more ill, I realized 
the Lord was teaching me something about the sufferings of Christ to bring me to a total uh, stripping of self-sufficiency and taking up the cross. But at the same time, God began to speak to me in, in even the most uh, in the most difficult part of this journey about the cross and what Christ went through in comparison and contrast to COVID-19. And if I may, let me just share a few of those insights that I, I had. One was that Please. there is a human isolation when you have COVID. And for three weeks, I couldn't see my wife or any other visitors. Even doctors uh, talked with me uh, digitally from their computer and were not there in person. And when you think of what Christ went through, he was isolated on the cross and even his disciples had fled. And when Jesus said in those brief words to John, behold your mother and, and to her, your son, I realized that Jesus for me had severed the closest of human ties in order to die for our sins, to take the full measure of his own suffering for our sins. Another aspect of COVID and the cross is uh, extreme pain. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's no way I could experience anything like the cross, of course, but Jesus had this excruciating pain of the nails and the thorns, the mocking, the spitting, uh, the exposure in the elements. And there's a great deal of discomfort, obviously, in COVID as well. And then Jesus had raging thirst. Uh, even now, I have a great deal of, of thirst for water. But Christ said, I am thirsty. Uh, his mouth was caked with dust, and he could hardly talk in those seven sayings from the cross. And then another aspect that we often don't think about is d uh, the difficulty of breathing. Yeah. When Jesus was on that cross, you know, he had to pull down on the nails and raise up on the nail in his feet just to inhale and exhale. Right. Excruciating. And uh, I lost most of my, my breathing capacity. Their, their uh, diagnosis was acute respiratory failure. Most importantly, significantly, this is where the contrast comes in. Jesus experienced divine forsakenness. And in that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting from Psalm 22.1. I never felt God had forsaken me. I never gave up hope. I did at one time sense that uh, I could probably die and uh, was aware of how difficult this was. But Jesus went through that for us and one of the most amazing insights to me was that he was quoting in Aramaic what had been written in Hebrew <laughs> and was personalizing the word of God to his situation in application of what was uh, not only a prophetic picture of how the father could not behold him because he became sin for us, but also Jesus in that darkness of the last three and a half hours of the cross was experiencing the ultimate uh, wrath of God becoming sin for us who knew no sin. Is it fair to say that at this time, in your brokenness, really, in your physical health brokenness, you were never clo more close to Christ than you were then? 
I, I believe that's really true. I mean, I had nothing to cling to but the Lord. And yeah. even when I learned later that the doctors were saying uh, to my family that there was nothing else they could do, and they were just trying to support me. And then family was notified, and Janet was told uh, have, or asked, have you made end-of-life plans? Uh, I, I still knew that the Lord was with me. And one of my yeah. favorite promises is from Hebrews 13, when the Lord said, I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you with that triple negative in the original language. Yeah. Never, ever forsook me. You've always had, professionally speaking as a pastor, you've always had a platform to share the gospel. Right. Maybe now, maybe now more than ever, you have a greater platform. How are you using your experiences in the hospital with COVID today and going forward Amen. to share the gospel? Well, you know, God wants to use everything in our lives. And uh, particularly that last part of the verse, and tell of the works of the Lord in Psalm 118, 17. I have seen God use this, particularly when I talk about COVID to someone, I can then in testimony tell what God did. And, and even on the golf course uh, or at the doctor's office or wherever I get to talk, uh, it is an amazing platform because people are amazed that I'm alive, that I'm doing what I'm doing, and I get to tell of the greatness and the goodness of God. Yeah, absolutely. And then in, in studies as I speak as well. Yeah, you're you're a um, you're a walking miracle, and we're 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 thankful for that. Uh, I'm gonna go back to the hospital uh, time just briefly. Um, what I heard was that um, you know you were in really bad shape, and um, some nurses or a nurse, I don't know if it was multiple or a singular person. Uh, said to you, you're going to have to fight for your recovery. Otherwise, we're going to put you on a ventilator. Right. And being placed on a ventilator was not a great idea. Uh, how, did that motivate you at all? Do you know? Uh, yes. And the first time that I was, I really felt like I was critical. They had called in the rapid response team. And I was, I was supposed to be on a, a prayer call with some pastors who were going to pray with me. And I couldn't. I couldn't even breathe, much less talk and pray with them. And this this nurse got down in my face. And she said, Mr. Wicker, if you want to live, you've got to fight. You've got to breathe. We can't do it for you. And then she said, we're just seconds away from putting you on a ventilator. Uh, we're, uh, we're intubating you. And you don't want that. You'll lose all control. You've got to fight. And it was like the coach in the locker room at halftime and the says we're down four touchdowns. We've got to go back out there and win. And, uh, the, something, the Holy spirit used this to trigger me to, to fight, to breathe. Uh, I learned later that, uh, so many had died after being intubated because their whole body started shutting down liver, kidneys. I had three pastor friends die that very same week of COVID. And uh, that that uh, pep talk was really used of God. You know, that's that's fabulous. Do you ever do you ever see that nurse or do you want to see that nurse to just thank her for her encouragement? I, I wish I could. I, I couldn't open my eyes. I mean, I don't I don't know what she looked like. Uh, uh -huh. I just heard it. 
and uh, we've we've wished that we could go back into the hospital and uh, tell every single nurse thank you, thank you. We had some incredible help, and even when they transferred me to a different room, uh, God even engineered in that it was like going to the bridal suite in a hotel. Uh, I had a view outdoors. Uh, terrific care for the nurses. They were wonderful. Matter of fact, uh, some would come into my room just to talk about spiritual things and be prayed for, and then to bring other nurses in to be prayed for. You know, what would make that, um, that, uh, that room extra special for you is if your view would have been of of a nice golf course. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there was one not far away too. I bet. So, you know, I wasn't going to ask this question, but what you said prompted me, uh, how was Janet at this point? What, what was going through her mind and how was she surviving this? Well, she had the support of our family who came. And, uh, but I, I've got to tell you, when she couldn't see me, she would often uh, drive over to the parking lot and look to where I was, I was staying and pray for me and intercede for me. And the Lord was giving her grace. I know it must have been a a horrendous time for her, but uh, she kept posts on her Facebook, uh, updating everybody of what what, what was God up to, and particularly helping people know how to pray for me during those times. And so her posts were just an amazing vehicle, not only of uh, praising God, but enlisting intercessory prayer as well. Well, uh, you both uh, have come through a lot, and it's really great. I, I remember my first uh, understanding of your situation actually came around trustee meeting in, in May, and yes. you did a video that was played uh, for the trustees that I was able to watch, and it was very moving. So um, we're glad you're on this side of COVID than before. So um, as I transition to really our final two questions, um, I'm interested in knowing – and we've touched on this a little bit, but how are you using these lessons to uh, minister today and, and grow and see that your faith grows? Well, uh, Mark, I'm, I'm trying to share with people, uh, students at the seminary, people in churches, uh, friends, that uh, God is sovereign and on his throne. And when we feel like we have hit the wall and there's no hope and no opportunity, God is still at work in that. And if I can use that to give people hope and encouragement and faith, that's a, that's a great passion of mine. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really, really longing to do more preaching and teaching. And oh, good. Uh, that's, God is opening some doors. I do have some difficulty at times. You'll notice that God's given me such grace. I'm not coughing during this interview. Uh, no, you're not. My my voice has not choked up as has happened. And each time that I have spoken, no matter a small group or college chapel of a Bible college not long ago, the Lord has taken care of the cough and the lungs. And uh, I, I just believe because he has a plan for me and he knows the plans he has for me, says Jeremiah, uh, that God is going to meet the needs, whatever whatever it is. As my day, so my strength will be. Yeah. Aren't you glad he knows your plans and you don't know his plans for you? Yeah. I'm not sure I want to know some of the things I've I've been through in advance. That's right. But I can uh, trust him. He knows what he's doing. 
Absolutely. So my last question for the podcast today, Hayes, is um, at the core of this podcast, Cedarville Stories podcast, we tell Cedarville stories for God's glory. So how do you hope or believe you are bringing God glory through your life and through your experiences that you just come through? Well, of course, I, I, I want to give God glory for everything. Uh, right. he, he answers prayer. Uh, he is a prayer answering God. To him belong deliverances, the psalm said, escapes from death. And he daily bears our burdens is another promise in psalms. And uh, I, I'm afraid of taking credit or glory because, frankly, I wouldn't even be here if God had not uh, stepped in and answered that. When I'm weak, he's strong. Uh, Paul said, I glory in my infirmities. As a matter of fact, God even leads me into weakness so that his greatness and his goodness can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how. Um, this, is, this is evident that, uh, that God has been gracious to you um, because you were um, flat on your back yeah. and uh, you you needed to depend on him for even your next breath, Amen. which which we always need to but we when we're when when we're in good times we don't think about that amen amen well you know that's why i love that promise and uh, the king james version says it as your days so your strength will be and that means god's not too early or too late he's right there when we need him as paul said my uh, god said to paul my grace is sufficient for you not was or will be but is hey Hey, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Oh, it's a joy, Mark. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.